When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and welcome to episode number 125. Hopefully you had a fantastic week and you're going to have a fantastic weekend. I say that with a little optimism because we're supposed to, at least here in the New England area, get smashed with a crazy snowstorm. And it's not going to bode well tonight tomorrow going into saturday and then a fresh blanket of snow on sunday it's going to be something crazy a lot of people are bracing for it me myself i could care less for it you guys know how i feel about the cold weather and snow it is what it is but i had a good week myself thank you so much for asking i am looking forward to this weekend thank you so much for asking but we do have an abundance of things to talk about i will follow up with my MLB lockout discussion that I started on Monday because on Monday episode number 124 I discussed the current state of the lockout between the players and the union I'm sorry the players in the uh, league rather and where they were actually going to meet later that afternoon so I just want to follow up with that how that meeting went where is the lockout moving forward now as we head into the last few days of January, where February is going to be pitches and catches reporting and spring training. So hopefully we can figure out something ASAP so none of that is impacted. So I do want to follow up there. We're going to have a small Bruins discussion as we just update ourselves with what's going on with the black and gold, where they are in the standings, how they're performing with the trade deadline looming in just about a few weeks. I don't know the exact date, but it's a few weeks away, I believe. Let me actually look it up right now. NHL trade deadline. It is on March 21st. Okay, so we got we got like seven weeks. Okay, I was a little off. My fault. But that's still something that we're going to have to have a discussion about within the next seven weeks is the potential moves the Bruins could be making. And then also we will be discussing about the NFL championship weekend between the AFC's Cincinnati Bengals and Kansas City Chiefs and the NFC's San Francisco 49ers and Los Angeles Rams. So we have a good episode lined up with some great topics ahead of us. So without further ado, let's dive right into it. And MLB Lockout had some positive traction. After Monday's meeting, SB Nation, the Athletics Nation, not the Athletic, like the Oakland Athletics, like, you know, their news website, 
posted this really good article that I read a little bit into, but I wanted to save most of the juice for the podcast. But I did read a little bit into it and actually breaks down a lot of the meeting and where the two sides are at, respectively the league and the union. And I want to break that down to you guys. So MLB lockout. At least the two sides are talking. This is an article written by Alex Hall on January 25th, so just a few days ago. The MLB lockout began on the 1st of December, and we're now eight weeks in. There's still no end in sight, at least in terms of any specific date when we might expect the offseason to resume. What's more, there's still no guarantee that spring training and the regular season will begin on time, nor that the full season will be played. However, at least the league and the Players Association have started talking. That wasn't a case. That wasn't the case a few weeks ago, but now negotiations are underway, which is an important first step towards completing a deal. As Wayne Gretzky used to say, "You miss 100% of the collective bargaining agreement that you don't discuss." I thought that was kind of funny. All right, so here's a quick update on the latest. Jeff Passant of ESPN leads off with the big picture. Labor talks are over. Here's what happened. MLB agreed to accept parameters of a pre-arbitration bonus pool for top 30 war. MLBPA seeking $105 million, league offered $10 million. MLB offered minimum raise to $615,000. MLBPA wants $775,000. MLB withdrew offer to change arbitration structure. Uh, let's see. On the first point. After a bonus pool for the top pre-arbitration players, Passan added this note. There is no deal today. There was never going to be a deal today. The takeaway, a pre-arbitration bonus pool gets the best young players paid more. Players wanted it, and it's a good thing for them. Players are laughing at the $10 million offer. It's far too low. Negotiations will change that. On the second point, Evan Drellick of The Athletic adds some context. MLB proposed today to raise the minimum salary for players with zero to one year of service time to 615000 Previously, had proposed 600000 No change to one to two years of service time, which currently sits at 650000 or two to three years of MLB service time, which currently sits at 700000 MLB also withdrew its proposal to eliminate salary arbitration for any group. On the third point, and also the first point, Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post adds some details. MLB is dropping its proposal to change arbitration and end Super 2, per person familiar with today's proposal, have also agreed to Union's idea of a bonus pool funded by Central Revenue to reward players with less than three years service time who wins an award, hit war marks. Or hits war marks. War is wins above replacement, W-A-R. It's it's one of those uh, new analytics. One of the MLBPA's primary goals is getting players paid earlier in their careers, which reflects in their efforts to raise the minimum salary, shift some of the pie towards pre-arbitration players, and preserve the Super 2 designation that already gets a handful of players into arbitration a year early. On Monday, the MLBPA dropped its idea of an age-based free agent system, reports Drellich. However, on the topic of an extra compensation pool for the best pre-arbitration players, there, may, there might be questions about how to decide who qualifies as the best. Steve Adams of MLB Trade Rumors explains some potential conflicts of interest. Beyond needing, to get, beyond needing to agree on which form of war to set as the standard, the concept isn't likely to sit well with the proprietors of those metrics. 
Baseball references Sean Foreman has already taken to Twitter to explain how uncomfortable he is with the notion of players being assigned millions of dollars based on a metric that is constantly undergoing slight tweaks to keep up with the changes in the game. Uh, there are some previous, there are some obvious potential conflicts of interest in trying pre-arbitration bonuses to award voting that is conducted by the media members who covers those players. There's still a long way to go, but now we have at least have a peek at the conversation. Of course, there will be other issues on the table beyond just the ones that came up on Monday's meeting. MLB insider John Heyman mentions MLB Players Union offered to decrease the revenue sharing increase they requested from big markets to small from $100 million to $30 million. MLB, meanwhile, is staying steadfast in saying revenue sharing formula will remain the same. Management source predicts Union will give this up in trade. As for how much progress was made, that's difficult to say. Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicles relays this response. I asked a source with knowledge of today's bargaining session about perceived movement from MLB on talks, and source said, quote, I'd hesitate to call it movement. The players' reaction to this uni- universally was, quote, what the F are you kidding me? End quote. And Travis Sawchick of the score isn't impressed by the league's proposed increase in the minimum salary. Corrected math. MLB increasing its minimum salary offer from 600000 to 615000 is still nothing. A step backward in adjusted pay. Again, $1 in 2017 at the start of the last CBA is worth $0.86 cents today. To keep up with the inflation alone, the minimum would need to be $650,000 in 2022. All this, and we haven't even gotten into expanding the postseason or adjustments to the draft, and they still have to figure out revenue sharing and the luxury tax. Maybe today counts as progress, maybe it doesn't, but two factual statements are the negotiations are properly underway and also that they're not close to being finished. End article. Well, there is the current state of Major League Baseball and the Players Association. It seems like in Monday's meeting that was hopefully designed to cover an abundance of topics, they were able to cover one, and that's salary. Whether it's for younger players, arbitration-eligible players. Now again, just to recap, when a player first comes up to the Major League Club, they are under team control for six years. Three years of contract renewability from 615, uh, what is it, 650 to 700,000. Based off of the zero to one year, one to two years of service time, or two to three years of service time. Then after those three years of contract renewability, they hit arbitration. And arbitration is when the camp of the player will discuss among itself to determine what they think their value is worth. Meanwhile, the team will discuss with their camp to discuss what the value is worth of that player. They both will submit that number to an independent arbitrator. And then that arbitrator will decide which salary is best fit for that player. So for instance, let's say I think I'm worth $1 million, but the Red Sox think I'm worth $500,000. We'll both submit our numbers to the independent arbitrator, and the arbitrator will determine if I'm worth what I think I am in $100 million, I'm sorry, uh, $1 million, or 
what the team thinks in the Red Sox, where they think I'm worth $500,000, then the arbitrator will pick $500,000 or $1 million, and that will be my salary for the upcoming season. And that's done for three additional years. And then after six years, then the player can hit free agency where they can make the big money. I think that is beyond friggin' stupid. Now, I understand you can make some money in arbitration, but, like, what if I think I'm worth $10 million? Like, you know, I got the same stats as, you know, my average is as good as Vladimir Guerrero's. I'm hitting 30 home runs. You know, my RBIs might be a little low. My on-base might be low, but my slugging's pretty high. I think I'm worth $10 million. But the Red Sox think I'm worth, you know, call it $3 million because I don't get enough walks. I strike out too much. And my on-base is low. And my RBI total is low. I could be a liability in the field. It, it just it just makes no sense to me. I mean, I don't I hate arbitration. I really do. But if they were to shave it where it's two years of renewability, two years of arbitration, sure, that's fine. But oh my goodness. I was hoping I was hoping that Monday the meeting between the uh, the players union, players association and the league and the owners was to cover a lot more than what it did, which was just clearly salary. Because like at the end of the article, there is expanding the postseason, adjustments to the draft, tanking. They need to figure out revenue sharing, luxury tax. There's still so much that needs to be discussed, and we are on the verge of February. Uh, let's see, when are pitchers and catchers, when are they supposed to report? February 14th. They are supposed to report on February 14th. Pitchers and catchers. That is, let's see, two and a half weeks away. On Monday, January 31st, when I sit back here to record episode number 126 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, pitchers and catchers are set to report in two weeks. Wow. Wow. That is coming up fast. That is coming up so fast. But guess what? But guess what? We still have no progress. We have still no movement in terms of getting an agreement done between the Players Association and the league. So will pitchers and catchers be able to report on February 14th? Will spring training games get postponed, get delayed, get canceled, pushed back? Will 162 games of the regular season be played? Will the season have to be pushed back and delayed? Right now, it looks like it will. And that is no bueno to either the league or the players. Let's sit down and figure this out. All right. Let's skate on our way to talking about some Bruins hockey. See what I did there? Skate on our way to some hockey. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. If you got it, you got it. If you, if you thought it was funny, you did. If not, then I'm just a cornball. Anyways, Bruins, they are on a West Coast trip right now as they just played the Colorado Avalanche in Colorado, or I should say in Denver on Wednesday. They are playing the Arizona Coyotes in Phoenix today, and then they will play Dallas Stars on Sunday. They just lost to the Avalanche 4-3, to but in overtime, so they do sneak away with the win, which is crucial. If you're going to lose, at least lose in overtime and just get a point out of it. 
I've already done this segment before where we're looking at, you know, teams that, that are ahead of them and the games played and the points that they're behind. And I'll mention this. I will mention this. The Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning both have played 44 games. And they both have 65 and 63 points respectively. The Toronto Maple Leafs, who are also ahead of the Bruins, have played 39 games with 55 points. The Bruins have played 40 games, and they have 51. So the Bruins have now eclipsed the Maple Leafs for more games played, but they're still behind the Panthers and the Lightning. But if we do the math, you know, the four games separates, that's eight possible points. That brings them to 59. They're still going to be short of the Panthers and the Lightning. Panthers and Lightning simply have less losses, and they have more overtime losses. It's just, I did the math uh, a few episodes ago, where they could be in first place if they had those overtime losses, if they had losses turned into overtime losses, and if they won all those games that make up the games played difference. However, that's not the case with the Maple Leafs. However, we still have half the season to go. We're at Bruins are at 40 games, season's 82 games long. It's a ton of hockey left. An absolute ton of hockey left. So where do I feel where do I stand with the Bruins right now? Well, I've been listening on the radio as I do driving into the into the shop as I go home. They've been on a great run this month. And I mentioned it on Monday's episode. Now, in their last 10 games, they were like 9-1. and one. In their last 11, I think they were 9-2. and two. Right now, they're 7-2-1 in their last 10 games. But are the Bruins reeling us in, you know, sucking all of our fan base in, just to disappoint us later? Now, could they sneak, you know, the third seed in the Atlantic Division? Of course they can. Of course. Could they get the number one wild card? Absolutely. You know, the Capitals have played four more games than you, and they are ahead of you by four points. Do the math. You can easily overcome that and become the one wild card. Easily. You know, getting the one or two seed in the Atlantic Division seems a little unlikely because both teams, the Panthers and the Lightning, are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, respectively. Toronto Maple Leafs are 7-2-1 and one in their last 10 games. And now they play one less game than you, but they're still up four points. So it's that's more likely than getting up to 65, 63 points between now and, I don't know, the next couple weeks and the Panthers and Lightning both not doing anything. So the Bruins, I mentioned this on Monday. I mentioned this on Monday. The Bruins absolutely had to go on this run. They absolutely had to go on this run. You want to know why? Because if they didn't, and they were just kind of muddling around, six and four, five and five, four and six, they would have fell right out. They would have fell right out of the Atlantic. They would have fell right out of the number one seed, uh, for the wild card, excuse me. And they're ahead on the Detroit Red Wings by nine points, who are the third wild card spot, who are three, four and three in their last ten games, and they have a total of forty-two points right now. You'd be closer to them than you would be at the top. So it's good to see the Bruins keeping up with the best in the conference. It's good to see them keeping up with the best in the division. 
They absolutely had to go on this run. Absolutely had to. Otherwise, they would have they still would have been the second wild card spot. But with what? 44 points, 43 points. Say goodbye to the Atlantic Division at that point. And say goodbye to the number one wild card spot. At least where it stands now, you still have a shot at the one wild card. You still have a shot at the three seed in the Atlantic Division. You have an outside shot at one or two seeds in the Atlantic if one of the Panthers or the Lightning fall off. So you still have an outside shot there. But that's only because you were able to go on such a good run like this when you did. You are keeping up with the Panthers. Again, 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. The Lightning, 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. The Maple Leafs, 7-2-1 in their last 10 games. You, Bruins, 7-2-1 in their last 10 games. So you're keeping up with the best of the best. You are. And you absolutely had to. Because otherwise, you would be down with the Red Wings, the Blue Jackets of the world. And here in Boston, you are not those teams. You do not have... Just let me skate through the rest of the season and let's just get some wins and some points and see you next year. Bruins, year in and year out, expect to win. They expect to be in the Stanley Cup Finals. They're expected to go on at least deep playoff pushes. And if it wasn't for this run that has sucked the fan base back in, that would not have happened. But right now, the Bruins, like I said, have the Coyotes tonight. They have the Dallas Stars on Sunday then they come home for a brief little homestand against the Kraken Penguins and the Hurricanes there's still a lot of hockey to be played and there's still a lot of time between now and the trade deadline and as we get closer to the trade deadline we'll obviously talk more about their potential options and I've talked about who I think they need you know they still need a top four defenseman you can always use depth on the bottom six forward group could you look for another center sure you have found you, you brought back Tuka Rass, so you clearly don't need a goalie. But that's a conversation for its own own day, me talking about Tuka and kind of diving into that. Do I like where the Bruins are at right now? Absolutely. Because it could be completely worse. And I've already talked about how worse it could be. And thank goodness it's not worse. Could it be better? Sure. Absolutely. But you got some good games coming up. Like I said, Coyotes, Stars, Kraken, Penguins, Hurricanes, Senators, Rangers, Islanders, Senators again, and then you go, and then the Avalanche towards the end of February. There's a lot of good games coming up for the Bruins that will test them. There's a lot of, you know, kind of cakewalk games as well. Bruins need to win the games that they can win. They need to go out there and capitalize on those games such as games against the Coyotes, the Kraken, obviously the Senators, the Islanders. But then there's going to be games, you know, that's coming up against the the Hurricane and the Avalanche again, the uh, the Stars. Ooh, I'm just trying to look at the schedule here because uh, I know they play a few teams twice. The Penguins. So it's going to be a challenging little road for them between now and, say, you know, the end of February. Which, between now and then, they have 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, and 13 games. In those 13 games, I would like to see the Bruins get at least 10 wins. 10-2-1, 10-1-2. I think they absolutely need to do something like that 
again, to keep up, to keep up with the Florida Panthers, to keep up with the Toronto, I'm sorry, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Toronto Maple Leafs even, who are ahead of them, the Washington Capitals, who are ahead of them for the number one wildcard spot. So that kind of run, 10-1-2, and 10-2-1, something they're going to have to do. Now, could you, you know, convince me of a 9-1-2? I'm sorry, 9-1-3? Uh, 9-0-4? Sure. I'd rather see overtime losses than regular regulation losses any day of the week. That's a plus. Go out there, play some good hockey, develop, you know, that chemistry within the team, which has been developing very nicely since, you know, the beginning of, like, training camp. Obviously, rotate guys accordingly. And as the season further progresses, once we get past the All-Star break and such, we can look at trade deadline and who I think the Bruins should bring in besides, you know, positional players, such as, like, you know, just like a top four defenseman, a bottom six forward, a center. You know, we'll get into specific players later on. But that's my stance on the Bruins right now. And I definitely want to hear yours because I know there's a lot of avid Bruins fans that come around the shop and we're always talking hockey. But I would definitely want to reach out to you guys, those that may not come into the shop as often or maybe not at all because you're too far. So reach out to me via social media, at Murph's Cartown. I want to hear your stance and your thoughts about the Bruins in their current state right now. And if you listen to this on YouTube, leave those comments down in the comment section below as I'd love to engage with you there. But let's jump over to some football because we do have a football discussion to have. We do have a big, big, big football discussion to have between, again, the AFC's Bengals and Chiefs and the NFC's 49ers and Rams. We'll start with the AFC game because that is the first game on Sunday at 3 o'clock. Bengals-Chiefs. I think I last checked, Vegas had the Bengals 31% chance to win the game. So obviously that would put the the Chiefs at 69%. Uh But I think the Bengals have a better chance than that to win this game. Now, could the percentile chance be much more discrepant because the Chiefs are home? Sure. If the Bengals were home, what would the percentage look like? Would it be closer to 50-50, 40-60, 45-55? I don't know. But I think this is a great matchup. This could be one of the best matchups in the AFC that we could have hoped for. Obviously, the the Chiefs-Bills was one that everyone wanted to see in the title game. We got that last round. That was a fantastic game. Don't get me wrong. And I think this matchup right here has the potential to be a great matchup on Sunday, next year, and potentially the next decade between Burrow and Mahomes. Again, it's going to come down to which offense can execute the plays when needed. Last week, the Chiefs were able to. But whose defense is going to step up? Because both defenses aren't that great. You know, I, I'm going to favor the Bengals' defense because their pass rush is better. I think they have better pieces in the secondary. And statistically, they just kind of favor the Chiefs. I know the Chiefs went on a great run defensively, but at the end of the day, they're not that good defensively. Yeah, they got Tyron Matthew. Yeah, they have uh, Chris Jones. But who else? Who else? So as great as the Chiefs' offense is, they're not that good defensively. 
And I've sat here and said, and I've said it in the shop a thousand times, I think the Bengals' defense is good, but they're a year too early. So like I said, if this game was next year, I think the Bengals have a damn near 50-50 chance to win this game. I honestly think that the discrepancy between the Bengals and Chiefs and who's going to win is solely based off of the game being in Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. Right? Say Patrick Mahomes, say the Chiefs still won last week, but it wasn't because of Patrick Mahomes. All right? Say it was like a 21-17 to 17 win over the Bills. Well, Patrick Mahomes, 200 yards, touchdown. Nothing crazy, right? He wasn't the reason why they won that game, hypothetically. I still think that the percentage would be a lot tighter than 31-69. to 69. But because of what Mahomes was able to do last week, really, really, really makes this game almost a landslide in terms of the percentage to win. And I, I mean... Kudos to Mahomes. I mean, he deserves it. Don't get me wrong. But from the Bengals' standpoint, I do believe it's a little unfair if you ask me. I'm really looking forward to this matchup. I really, really am. And I'm happy that we got it. All I know is there's a ton of people in this country that want the Bengals to win. They love Joey B. They love that Joey Shiesty. But, I mean, we need the Bengals to win. You want to know why? I'm sick of Mahomes. I really, really am sick of Mahomes. It's just so many bandwagon Chiefs fans, so many bandwagon Patrick Mahomes, D-Rider fans are out there. And trust me, if they didn't exist, those bandwagon fans, I wouldn't mind if Patrick Mahomes got to another Super Bowl and potentially won another Super Bowl. It's just imagine all of the noise that these bandwagon fans are going to make when, if, they advance. I just don't want to deal with it. I, I, as exciting as the Chiefs are to watch, and as exciting as their comeback against the Bills and that back-and-forth game in the divisional round was, I just think the Bengals are, more, are a more entertaining product. Underdog mentality, three stud receivers, uh, Joe Burrow, former number one overall pick who's playing out of his mind right now after tearing his ACL last year. The Bengals, they're, they're the Bengals, they haven't won playoffs game, playoff games since the 90s. Here they are, they've just won two in a row. In their first appearance in I don't know how long, that, I think that time Andy Dalton took the Bengals to the... Uh, the wild card game and they lost against the Steelers on that Vontaze perfect hit. I think that was the last time they were in, to be honest. Just the story is so much better. The st- I honestly think the storylines for a Bengals Super Bowl, whether, you know, whoever they face, the Niners, the Rams, is better than the Chiefs and Mahomes. I do. I really do. Yeah, you can always say, oh, Mahomes is in his third straight Super Bowl looking for two wins in the last three years. You know, if he wins, his legacy is going to be cemented. It's like, bro, like, dude's like 25. His legacy is not going to be cemented, whether he wins or loses a Super Bowl in his third straight year. Like, I mean, he could just never be the same next year. You know, starting next year, he could just never be the same. You just don't know that. So stop saying his legacy is cemented. Is his legacy great? 
right now? Sure. Is it still young and prospering? Yes. But stop trying to put him up in that upper echelon quarterback conversation. He's not there yet. Will he eventually? Possibly. Probably. But not yet. And I just do not want to hear those conversations. I do not want to engage in those discussions. So give me Joe Burrow because I think it's a more entertaining conversation to have. So at the end of the day, who am I picking between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs? You could probably think that I'm going to pick the Cincinnati Bengals just because of everything I said. And you're right. I am picking the Bengals because I'm picking the underdog story. I think when comparing and contrasting the two teams, the Bengals and the Chiefs lined up together, I think the Bengals are a better team overall. Obviously, offense, you know, Mahomes and Burrow, it's a conversation to have. Tyreek Hill or Jamar Chase, conversation to have. But at the end of the day, when we're looking at everything, all right, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, you know, left tackle, right tackle, guard, centers, all this and all that, you know, D-linemen, linebackers, safeties, corners. I think the Bengals are the favorite there. Now, it's going to be an uphill battle. They're not going to win the game easily. And I won't be surprised if they lose, and I won't be surprised if the Chiefs blow them out. I don't think they will. But I'm not going to sit here and say the Bengals are going to win this game, you know, nine times out of ten. It's going to be an easy win. I'm not saying that. But I am rooting for the Bengals. I am picking the Bengals to win this game. Whether I am alone in this prediction, in this take, or if I have the rest of the bandwagon behind me. But I'm picking the Bengals to win. Let's jump over the NFC because this is a different conversation. Completely different conversation. If the Bengals win, I don't care who wins this NFC game, whether it's the 49ers or the Rams. I could care less. If the Chiefs win, though, I do want the Rams to win because the Rams have the firepower to keep up with the Chiefs offensively. But the Rams' defense is significantly better than the Bengals or the Chiefs' defense, for that matter. 49ers have a good defense, too. I know Warner and Bosa were a little dinged up, but I think they're going to be good to go for Sunday. But, at, I mean, they don't have Jalen Ramsey. They don't have Aaron Donald. They don't have Vaughn Miller. Now, yes, you could say that the Rams don't have, you know, Eric Armstead or Nick Bosa or Fred Warner. Sure. But would I rather have Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead or Aaron Donald and Von Miller? I'm picking Von Miller and Aaron Donald. Would I rather have Jalen Ramsey or Fred Warner? Granted, one's a linebacker, one's a corner, but I'm going to pick Jalen Ramsey. As much as Mike Evans kind of used and abused him uh, last week in the divisional round, Ramsey is, quote-unquote, the best cornerback in the league. He was just going up a fantastic wide receiver. And, yes, the Chiefs have Tyreek Hill. The Bengals have Jamar Chase. But I'm a firm believer that defense wins championships in one way, shape, or form. One way, shape, or form. You could look at the past Super Bowls, and you could point to defense. Look, the Buccaneers shut out. I don't want to say shut out, but the Buccaneers neutralized the Chiefs' offense, and they, and they forced them to only score nine points. Patriots, Rams a few years ago. Rams were the best offense in the league at the time, and they scored three points that entire game. You could even point to the Patriots-Eagles where it was an offensive output. Absolutely offensive output. 
And you could say that, hey, if Malcolm Butler was in that game, the Patriots could win. That's obviously a hypothetical question or a hypothetical stance. But you could say, hey, if Malcolm Butler played, they, they win that game. Malcolm Butler is a defensive player. You could look at the Falcons and Patriots Super Bowl a few years back. Yeah, the Falcons put up 28 points. The Patriots only had three. The Falcons were rolling. They, they kept the Patriots to three damn points. Defense was winning them that game. And then the Patriots defense stepped up and played absolute fantastic defense, forcing zero points, turnovers, and allowed the Patriots offense to come back. Yes, offense puts up points, but defense is a main propellant for teams to win. So getting back to the original topic at hand here, the 49ers Rams, both great teams, both deserve to be here. 49ers have gone on the road and beat the Cowboys and beat the Packers. Two great teams that a lot of people picked to be in the Super Bowl. The Rams, who did they play in the first round? I forget. Rams beat the Cardinals, which, you know, they were a hot team to start, and they kind of phased out a little bit. But they still put up 34 points and only keeping that offense to 11 points. That's fantastic. They had a 27-3 lead over the Buccaneers. Their defense uh, gave out a little bit. But, hey, when it mattered, their defense stepped up you know, early in the game to put the Buccaneers in that position. And when it mattered the most, their offense stepped up. So a lot of te- uh, both these teams do a lot of things great. And it's going to be very exciting. And my, like I said, my rooting or my stance on who I want to win this game is going to determine on who comes out of the AFC. Like I said, if the Bengals come out of the AFC, I could care less. 49ers or Rams, go football. But if the Chiefs do win, oh, I'm going to be a hardcore Rams fan again. So at the end of the day, who am I picking to win this game? I'm going to be picking the Rams because of home field. I think overall they're clearly the better offense. They are clearly the better offense. But defensively, it's a lot you know tighter of a comparison. But I think the edge may go to L.A., albeit their safeties are dinged up. But, I mean, you have Jalen Ramsey. Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald. It's just like three of the best defensive players in the past decade are on one team. That's just, that is nuts. That is absolutely nuts. Plus you have Matthew Stafford on offense, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., Cam Akers hopefully can turn it around. Sony Michelle is still there. Tyler Higby's good. I just, I think the Rams have a lot of, a lot of tools in that team's toolbox that the Ram uh, that the 49ers I don't think have. I expect a good game either way, but I am going to be leaning the Rams and who I think will win this game. But those are just my thoughts and my opinions. I want to hear yours. Do you think the Bengals or the Chiefs will win the AFC title game? Reach out to me via social media at Murph's Car Town or leave your prediction down in the comment section below. Do you think the 49ers or the Rams will win in the NFC title game? Reach out to me via social media at Cartown, or leave your prediction down in the comment section below. But that is going to do it for today's episode. I know it's a short one. I am kind of up against the time as I have to open the car shop in just a few moments. Please swing on down to Murph's Cartown Sports Shop if you're in the area or you want to further discuss this conversation that we had today on episode number 125 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. You can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk everywhere you listen to podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, 
and of course YouTube as well. So I graciously appreciate every download, listen, and enjoyment that you get from every single podcast episode. And if you are listening to this on YouTube, thank you so much for clicking on the video, liking the video, commenting, and of course, please consider subscribing to the channel if you are new or have not considered subscribing, as I would greatly appreciate the love and support that way. But that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I will catch you in the next one. Hopefully, we get a great set of games this weekend as we did last weekend. I'm hopeful, hopeful that we will. I think we will. But we'll have to wait and see where we'll break it all down on Monday for episode number 126. If you're in the New England area, definitely stay safe for this snowstorm if it does come to fruition like you know, the meteorologists and people are saying. Definitely stock up on some food because we don't know what the storm is actually going to bring. I'm hearing a foot. I'm hearing 18 inches. It could get crazy, so definitely be safe this weekend. But I will catch you the next one. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you. Stay safe, and I will always see you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.